0: Take your Bible, please, and go to First Peter chapter two, if you will. First Peter chapter two. I announced this morning that we are bringing a message that deals on you, your position as a child of God, and our text is First uh, Peter chapter three, and I want to read to you verses nine through eleven. Okay, so First Peter chapter uh, two, and verses nine through eleven. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dear beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Let's pray. Our dear Father, tonight we thank you for the music. Great, so grateful, Lord, that you'll never lead us where your grace will not be with us. I thank you, Lord, for this evening that we can proclaim the wonderful word of God. We can't do this, Father, with our energy, our intellect. We must have the power and direction of your blessed spirit. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would take the authority of your word and direct it by the blessed Holy Spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You know, child of God, it's very, very important that you know what your position is in the area of the spiritual realm. And what is your position in the spiritual realm? Well, the word of God says, first of all, In 1 John 3, 2, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And so we are positionally in the spiritual realm, we are the sons of God. Connected with that, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, And if uh, heirs, then heirs of God and joint, heirs with Christ. Which means in the spiritual position I am joint heirs with Christ and so are you. Which means all the wealth, all the splendor, all the beauty of heaven is ours. That is our position in the spiritual realm. But now while you're in the flesh what is your position? Well our passage makes it very clear, which I want to emphasize this evening, of you getting a, a spiritual grasp on what your position is now through this life. Well, the Word of God says that ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Now look, the Word of God says you are a peculiar People, You know what that deals with? Your character. You see, reputation is what people may think you to be. Character is what God knows you are. And therefore, the Word of God says that you are the people of God, and that's very, um, you are a peculiar people because you have character. In other words, when people your life, they've got to say, you know, there's something peculiar. And by the way, so often we have the wrong connotation when we think of peculiar, don't we? Uh, when I was in high school, matter of fact, uh, now look, we're not making fun. I never do that to anybody. But in high school, i uh, the, the dress was casual pants, you know, a nice shirt, that's it, nothing fancy. We had one guy in this large high school that I went to. Now, I'm not exaggerating, this kid wore a black suit to high school. Every day, white shirt, black tie, he had black hair, and he carried a black Bible like this. And honestly, you know what happened? When you see this this man, this young man coming towards you, you would absolutely get on the other side of the, of the street. You would avoid this young man. You know that was he was he was different. He was he was kind of um, peculiar. Uh, he was strange, and you would avoid him. Well, when I got saved, I got saved on um, my senior year in high school, and so I got saved on the Sunday night service in the month of January, and the next morning. Uh, I was walking to machine shop. The very next morning, I'm walking to machine shop when all of a sudden um, uh, I heard someone cry out real loud, Brother Jerry. (laughs) Pastor, I was never called Brother Jerry in my entire life. And I turned around and guessed who came running toward me. Yeah, the guy in the black suit and the Bible like this. And he stops me in front of guys I played football with and baseball and cheerleaders and all that. And he says to me out loud in front of all these people, he said, I understand you got saved last night. How on earth he found out, I don't know. He didn't go to the same church I went to. Well, you know what? I was thrilled I got saved. I really was so thrilled. I looked that young man right in the eyes and I said, well, yeah, I got saved last night. And out loud, he said, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> well, when I say you are a peculiar people, we don't mean that. No, we mean in the positive sense. When people look at you, they will say there's, there's something peculiar about that individual. They pray over their food. On their break, they read the Bible. They don't steal money from the cash register like we do. Hey, they don't steal things from the office and from the factory like we do. There's something peculiar about that individual. What are they talking about? It's talking about the fact that you have character. You know, when I got saved... When I was a young boy, when I was, I think around 12 years of age, I stole a 10-cent water pistol from Mrs. Dunham at the Dunham Pool Room, and uh, I would buy uh, draft beer for my grandparents. And uh, I would, but one day she was getting the draft beer in a big container like this and a box of uh, little pistols, and I I grabbed one of those little pistols and put in my pocket. I began to walk down the road, and I began to think, if my dad finds out I stole that water pistol, he will kill me, and they'll put me in Plunty Town. That's in West Virginia. It's a home for wayward boys, and so I got so scared, I, I never even used the, the little pistol. I, I threw it way in the, in the woods, never used it. Well, I go to Bob Jones, and when I'm a, a freshman to Bob Jones, I, I was praying, Lord, You know, I want to make things right. And the Lord bought that little 10-cent water pistol that I stole. So guess what I did? I wrote to Mrs. Pearl Dunham. I said, Mrs. Dunham, when I was a little boy, I stole a 10-cent water pistol from your store. I'm now preparing for the ministry, and I want to pay that bill. Now, I did not know the Bible very well at that time. If I knew what I know now, I would have sent her 50 cents. I would have restored her fourfold, you know, but I just sent her a dime. I wrote a little note. I said, here's your dime that I stole that little water pistol from you. You know what? Mrs. Dunham kept that letter for years. When she died, her granddaughter showed me the letter. I'm going to tell you what, that's a small thing, congregation, but I'm going to tell you what. When you've got character, you know what you're going to do? You're going to make things right. You're going to be a peculiar people. You will not let things slide in your life. But not only that, but second of all, look at, verse, at verse, the next verse, verse 10. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. The Word of God says, second of all, we are the people of God. That deals with our conducts. You know something, congregation? No one should ever put a question mark over Jerry Savinsky's head and wonder, by my conduct if I am a child of God or not. In other words, you know, what? I don't come to this church and sing, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus. And neither should you and then go home and you're involved in this worldly, ungodly, sensual music of the world. You do not have two types of reading material. You don't bring the Bible here to church and you go home and you are involved in pornography. You don't have two kinds of speech. You don't talk like a child of God here and got home, and you got a filthy, cursing mouth. I'm telling you something. We ought, our lives ought to be by our conduct that we are the people of God. Many years ago, when my family, uh, when we traveled, when the whole family, all four children, uh, we were having a revival meeting. We went out to a, a nice restaurant one day for a meal just our family, and while we were eating there, we got through eating, a man, a complete stranger walked to my table, and he said, "Uh, sir, I said, yes, he said, I want to pay for your meal tonight, and he he, he grabbed the tickets. I said, sir, you don't need to do that. He said, oh, yes, I do. He said, my wife and I observed your children." We could not believe how well-behaved your children were. And then we observed you folk prayed over your food. You all must be born-again Christians. I said, we are. He said, we're paying for this meal. You know what? We didn't do a word, but by our very conduct, the man bought us the meal. Another time, I was with a, a dear friend of mine, a high school principal, I was preaching at his church for revival. He picked me up at the airport, and we stopped at this this real nice steakhouse, and he was going to provide the meal for me, a steak meal. We had a lovely steak meal, but we had to wait 45 minutes for it. And so we had wonderful fellowship, and so we got the reading. The manager walked up to us, and he said, uh, did you all enjoy your meal? We said, yes, sir, it's very good. He said, uh, it's on the house tonight." You don't have to pay for it," I said. "What do you mean, sir?" He said, "Listen. We observed that you men waited forty-five minutes. You never were very—you were never unkind to the waitress. You were very polite. You did not say anything when the food was late, so we are paying for your entire meal. And by the way, would y'all like to have a dessert? Well, we were so stuffed we couldn't have a dessert. But you know something, congregation?" the conduct of a child of God, people ought to recognize by our very conduct that we are the people of God. And that's what you are. Your conduct ought to reveal that. But third of all, look in verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now third of all, the word of God says you are a pilgrim That deals with your conversation or your manner of living. Look at me. The Word of God says, you are a pilgrim, sir. Lady, you are a pilgrim. Now, I know what you're thinking. You got your black suit on. You got your white socks. You got your big pilgrim hat on. You got your muzzle loader, and you are a pilgrim. Oh, no, no. We're not talking about that that, that kind of pilgrim. By the way, uh, many years ago, I was over in... Uh, Massachusetts preaching, and while I was over there, I, uh, I was intrigued by these people, the way they talk over there. They talk, they talk different. Now, we're not making fun, but they do have a different accent, you know, and uh, I'd say, what is your name, sir? He said, Bob. I said, Bob? He said, yeah, Bob. I said, what's your name, sir? He said, Harvey. I said, Harvey? Yeah, Harvey. And so uh, when I got to preach, Pastor, I said, you know, I noticed one thing about you folks. I said, y'all have an accent. And they know what? They went to the floor because they were intrigued with me like I was intrigued with them. But while I was there, I got to go and see the Mayflower too, which is an identical replica of the Mayflower in which the pilgrims came to America. And when I saw the Mayflower, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I was shocked. I must have been daydreaming in the seventh and eighth grade because I thought the Mayflower was an ocean liner. (laughs) Duh, the Mayflower was a very small ship that could only hold 112 people. And when you went in the bottom of the ship where they slept, you wouldn't think they could get 50 people down there, 112 people. However, pilgrims were people who had a final destination in mind. And that's what you are, child of God. You have a final destination in mind. Let me illustrate this with you, please. Look at this little pulpit right here, please. This little thing right here, the pulpits. Right here, this represents your birth dates, okay? This is when you were a baby. We take one little brief step from right here to right here, and that's the time you're a baby till you're 19 years of age. And this is where some of you are this evening. Life is exciting, vivacious, and you have this energy level way up here, okay? Then we take another little step like this, and this is middle age. And this is where some of you people are. And then right here, we have this is the, um, the older age, okay? And then this is um, uh, 100 years of age. Where am I this evening? Huh? You know, and right here, this is hundreds of years. This is millions of years, and over here is billions of years, and then eternities. Now look at this small thing right here called time. Are you aware that most people, all they live, and their focus is entirely upon this life? And since that's so, we become very possessive. It starts when you're a little child, and mom and dad buys you a big lollipop pop like this, this big around, and you've got both hands on like this. And your little brother and sister says, me, some," And you say, no. And what do they do? They scratch, they bite, and they kick. It is mine. They're very possessive. When they become teenagers, it even gets worse. They become very possessive with their clothes and their possessions. They get to college. It's a same. When they become adults, a lot of times it even gets worse. Why? All we do, we live for this life. Many years ago, a dear friend of mine in South Carolina. He said, "Jerry, I've got to make a decision, and I need your counsel." Well, this man is a multimillionaire, and I said, "Well, what would that be, brother?" He said, "Well, Jerry, um, I'm planning on taking five million dollars of my retirement money, and building my retirement and building a retirement center down in Charleston, South Carolina." However, I am going in with this friend of mine, and when he described the friend of his to me, I mean, all kind of red lights were coming off of my mind, and I said to him, I said, you know what, I would not I would not do this if I were you. And I'm thinking, if I had five, which I don't have, by the way, the ease, all right, I do not have five million dollars. And I'm thinking, if I have five million dollars, if I just got a very low interest off of five million dollars in a safe investment, I'd have more money than I could I could spend, you know, every year. And so that bothered me that he would risk five million dollars in that kind of adventure. And so I said, and with his friend, he described, so finally I said, You know, my counsel would be don't do it. He looked at me and said, Well, I appreciate that, but I'm going to do it. I said, well, you asked for my counsel, and I'm telling you, don't do it. Well, he went against my counsel. He invested $5 million with this so-called friend, who was a crook, and guess what happened? Hugo hit Charleston, South Carolina, flattened his entire investments. The other partner was a crook. And my good friend lost the entire $5 million. People possess possessions. And then possessions possess them. Look, we need to have a very light hold on the temporal. We need to have a very tight hold on the eternal. Why? Because I'm a pilgrim. Now look, God's given us all things to enjoy. But this is temporary. No. Hebrews 11.10 says of Abraham, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so look here, congregation. Nothing wrong with having things but don't let things happen. You hear me? you got to realize that your manner of living, I'm a pilgrim. I'm just passing through this world. Everything will be left behind. My goal ought to be to lay treasures up in heaven. I need to live my life in light of eternity. Look, congregation, this is my 50th year in evangelism. I thank God I've been able to go around America all these years to serve my Savior, to try to impress you no, to serve him. Why? I'm a pilgrim. My goal is living my life in light of eternity. And that's got to be your goal as your child of God. However, go back, if you will, to verse 9. A lot of parts says, but you are chosen generation, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, that ye should show forth the praises of him. Now get this. Who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights? You know something, Night? Like, if anyone is here without Christ as your Savior, you're in darkness until you come to Christ. You are in spiritual darkness. Oh, you're not in physical darkness because th- you, this is light here. But without Christ, you're in spiritual darkness. And you know what? You've got to look back to a time where you can know that God has saved you out of darkness. I look at my home in West Virginia. And I can say this to you this evening that our home was a pit of darkness with the alcohol, the fighting, and all the other stuff. Listen, it's a horror story. I cannot tell you all the horror that went on of, of, of a grandfather who was murdered, of an uncle who was murdered. I, I, could, I could tell you things that it's just too sensational to talk about, and I don't want to bring that stuff up. But we, went, we had horror in our home. We had all of this darkness until Christ saved us. And when it did, our home, just like this, the whole house was transformed. The glorious light of Christ. And if you can't look back to Christ saves you tonight, you'll never, this will never make sense to you until you come to Christ and let Christ save you. Let's bow our heads and pray, please. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for those who've come this evening. And I do pray, Heavenly Father, that you would guide by your blessed spirit, that you would strengthen your people, help them get a handle on understanding what their position is in Christ. And if anyone does not know you, Lord, that they'll turn to our blessed city.